Welcome to the Creative Land Podcast Network. Join us as we share our favorite RPGs, one-shot games, tabletop games, reviews of items, and convention panels, and other exciting things that we run into from time to time. Sit back and enjoy the show. Hi, this is Kelly, a.k.a. Trixie from Ragnarok and Roll, a sign to Ragnarok story, and Tilda Wimblewick from D&D Journey of the 5th Edition. First off, I would just like to say thank you to everyone for listening to our varied adventures, as well as for rating us on iTunes and RPGpodcast.com. If you haven't rated us yet, we would greatly appreciate it if you could. And if you're looking for more ways to support our efforts, we are now on Patreon, a great site where you can help us continue making more podcasts, as well as some special surprises for our patrons. If you can, please look us up at www.patreon.com slash cppn. Every little bit helps. And again, thank you for listening. This panel is Cancel Culture and the Fate of Science Fiction. My name is Scott Glenner. For those few people who don't know me, I'm the guy in the black hat, and I'm one of the people that does the programming for Tuscan. Um, to my right is Ross Lambert. And uh, pleasure and honor to be here. Oh, I forgot to get my books out. <laughs> so while I'm fumbling around with that, I have a, a couple of books couple of novels completed and the third book in the series is very close to being done and that will be the end of the series and I am very happy to be announcing that. In the meantime I'm also in my abundant spare time working on a couple of actually well right now it's two books but soon to be probably I don't know how many um, four writers on critiquing and uh, the reason I say I'm not sure how many they're going to be is because one is about as thick as one of these things right now, and that's probably more fun than most writers want to have. And so I will be splitting it out into several smaller ones. Um, but that uh, those will be coming out next year. The uh, Wild Spread, the third book in this series, will be out probably next early next year as well. It just depends on how quickly I can get the cover done. And now to my left, also known by pretty much everybody here, is Hal Estelle. Hello, I am not cancelled, I am here. (laughs) (laughs) I presume we mentioned that we didn't cancel Wendy either, but Wendy is not here either. Uh, She just couldn't join us. Um, So we're introducing, I am Hal Estelle, I think I I probably know everybody. Uh, I do a lot of things, I run the Apocalypse Later Empire, I have a film festival, genre film festival up in Phoenix. I run Arizona Fandom, which is an information site for all of you, so that you can find out what's happening in the state, whatever it is and whenever it was. Uh, And I also chair CocoCon up in Phoenix, which is kind of, sort of, Tuscon up there. Not quite, but uh, lots of similarities. I also write. I write a lot. Um, but I've only got six books out. The latest one is the awesomely awful, the awesomely awful 80s part two. <laughs> I may or may not get around to writing part one later. And uh, that's a look at guilty pleasures of the 80s that are really, really bad, but I love them anyway. And uh, you can find my stuff pretty much everywhere. Um, and that's me. Did we cover everybody else? Apologies for being late. We wrapped up the CocoCon party by two. And <laughs> <laughs> I'm amazed I'm awake. <laughs> you know, you can put down that you don't want early panels. 
we allow people to do that? Yeah, I think I, I think I ticked the not before ten, but there was no sort of emphatic underline. Absolutely nothing before ten a.m. and yeah, ten a.m. Okay, I can do it. I can do it. I'm here. Uh, and then on the far left is Wolf Forest. Yeah, I am a local artist and writer here in Tucson, and I should be canceled. So, uh, I've been associated with Tuscan for, God, I can't believe it's been over 40 years, but uh, there you go. I have an essay in one of Gloria's books that she edited, Ray, Ray, Orbiting Ray Barrier, Ray Mars, and several other essays on other writers like Robert Heinlein and uh, many books from Salem Press. Okay, so before we start, I want to take a little survey of the audience. How many people believe that cancel culture doesn't exist at all? On the right or the left? Doesn't matter. Okay. Um, how many people feel that cancel culture has gone too far? <laughs> oh, this will be fun. Okay. Oh. <laughs> yes. Hmm. Which is one of the reasons why we did this panel. Normally we stay away from uh, hot button topics like this, but this is, Joe and I, Joe's the other programmer, felt that this is really important to discuss amongst ourselves as a community. Um, so. And Scott, if I may add at this point, I, I noticed a kind of a theme in, in panel topics because we really had two other panels that discussed topics that kind of work our way into this sort of thing. And, and so I, I think that's very uh, timely that, uh, that we're having these discussions and, and how we respond to, we as writers and artists and organizers and film people, how we respond to that. Okay. So um, let's start with any um, comments or opinions up here first um, on cancel culture or the lack of cancel culture. Well, from an historical perspective, when I hear the words cancel culture as applied to science fiction, fantasy, and horror in general, I always think of the relationship between Arthur Conan Doyle and Harry Houdini. Both were interested in spiritualism, and they got along well for a while, but Houdini maintained that his illusions were just mechanical tricks. There was nothing spiritual about it. And he spent basically the rest of his life, which was not that significant because he died on Halloween in 1926 from a blow to the stomach that was unexpected. And he spent the rest of his life trying to debunk Arthur Conan Doyle and his belief in spiritualism and fairies and whatnot. So. Yeah. I, I love how you're just throwing us in here. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot we can talk about here. Yeah, um, that's good. Uh, you know, so should we just start with what we think cancel culture is, as your poll suggested? Um, not everybody thinks it even exists. Uh, it may be a political thing on one side or the other. Um, I mean, what, how are we defining cancel culture here, Scott? That, that's one of the things to discuss. What is cancel culture if there is one at all? <laughs> Does anyone feel they've experienced personally cancel culture? That's a good question. Yeah. Fortunately, no. <laughs> well, we got a maybe. Uh, well, so what's the maybe? What happened? The maybe is there are, in certain groups, um, historical facts that I have been chided for presenting. These aren't, you know, judgments. This is a historical fact. 
Okay. And that doesn't fit the narrative that the group had adopted. And when I say, no, that is not so, oh, yes, it is. Well, let's go back and look at the history. Let's actually look at source documents. This will tell you that this is not so. Hmm. But it is not well received. Would you be specific about what that is? Uh, mostly dealing with some of the associations of the 1619 project. Oh, I see. Okay. There, there, there are historical factual errors in that, and they're easily demonstrated. But people don't want to hear it. Okay. And we got a hand here. Add, add on to what the gentleman over there is saying. Uh, there are things people don't know, and there are things people don't want to know, and that the affective factor, the emotional enters in between. It isn't just they don't know, and I can convince them when they know it. And, yeah, thanks for that, Bruce. I, I, I think that's a really good way to, to, to bring into this. Uh, I think a lot of people think cancel culture is uh, a modern generation that has decided that they don't like a lot of things. And when they see in people who have written or made films or stood up and done whatever, gone to war, and those people who we have previously seen as positive for their work have had views or done things that are now seen as negative and therefore they want to say well maybe this person wasn't that great uh, maybe we shouldn't be remembering him this way and I don't think that's cancel culture I think that's what a lot of people think cancel culture is I think that's a, a rational way to look at history you have to acknowledge fact as you said you know if these things happened if these things are true we should not deny them, uh, but we should not also, you know, spin these things into our own narrative and try and create something else. Yeah, um, Gloria's touching on a, a really important piece of just that, and that is the the emotional component that gets into this. And, and I could be allowed to expand just a little bit. Sure. I absolutely agree with you, say how, but what happens sometimes is that people will enjoy a piece of literature or enjoy a film, they find out something about whoever produced it that's unrelated to the content in that, but that is abhorrent to them. And all of a sudden, that content is no longer accepted. Yeah, and, and they will not uh, read that person, they will not watch that person, right. they will not have right. anything and to do with that person. And they, wait, they may also preach to other people that you should not read this person either. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> what, if I can just finish off, Scott, the, where I think cancel culture comes in is where the, um, that concerted push is uh, to, to, to frame a narrative and say, this is bad and everybody is wrong if they do not follow what I say about this, yeah. uh, which may or may not be right, as you mentioned, yeah. you know. Um, that that's where cancel culture can, can come in, and that's that's to pick up on on just that. Um, if you're in touch with the astronomy world at all, uh, recently there's been there was a push. I think it's been squashed uh, to rename the James Webb Telescope, which is about to be launched out into fairly distant space. A uh, very advanced telescope is going to do things that Kepler could never dream of doing. And a group of, of people believed that 
James Webb, former early administrator of NASA, was a racist, sexist, homophobe type of person. And so there was a, a kerfuffle for a while that the telescope should be renamed. Uh, NASA did some research, said, nope, we find no evidence of that. And it has, the, the argument seems to have died away. Thank you very much, sir. Um, but, you know, this was the sort of thing where we have this, we, this group, have this belief and you are an evil person if you do not accept what we are saying. And to, to pick up on, on Bruce's point, even though the facts evidently do not support their belief, and this is going back to what Gloria was talking about, the emotional commitment to that belief then makes uh, the facts irrelevant. So long as I have this belief, I am not going to change it. I know what I know, what I know and that's, that's the end of it. There's not going to be any discussion. That's probably the greatest danger, and, and we're seeing this in, in a whole lot of aspects um, in our culture right now. Um, don't need to go into the, the, where that, that might have come from. I think we can all make our own judgments on that. But it's, uh, that's the challenge. And then for us as writers, or, or artists or filmmakers or, or whatever, I, you know, I, where I thought this, was, uh, this discussion was going to end up going was, do we respond to that, and if so, how? And, and that's, I'll throw that back to the panel. Well, to your point about the Webb Telescope, before we get too far off that, I'm just wondering if cancel culture, as it exists today, were present during the early days of the space program in the 50s and 60s, would we have regarded Werner von Braun differently because of his Nazi background? Yeah. Well, but, but some aspects of what is now called cancel culture existed in the 50s because if you were um, a homosexual, for instance, yeah. you would lose your job. You would right. lose you know, all friends. You would well, lose all of Well, them. things like that it weren't promoted. Right. You know. Um, Just like was, Rod, um, you know, Rock Hudson's, mm -hmm. yeah, you know, homosexuality that was suppressed by the media because Pe FDR's polio was suppressed mm -hmm. because you said, well, he can't lead if he can't walk. I mean, you know, which is yeah. absurd. But um, people were canceled, and I see a hand. Hold on a second. But the people were canceled in the past. Anybody know a gentleman named William Haynes? No. And that's because um, most people don't know about William Haynes. He was the biggest star in Hollywood in 1927 and 1928. He was also gay. And he was uh, very happy about being gay. He was uh, flagrant about being gay. He did not hide the fact, even though society would generally expect him to. And Louis B. Mayer told him, look, either you stay with your boyfriend and I kick you out of your job and you no longer work in Hollywood ever again, or you settle down in a lavender marriage and pretend you're straight. And he stayed with his boyfriend. And, uh, you know, they were together till the end of their lives. And that's why you've never heard of William Haynes. So, yeah, cancel culture definitely existed way, way, way back. And okay. lots of hands. Gloria first. Hi, I'm going to stand because maybe my voice doesn't carry. But this is about the um, Werner von Braun case in, in particular. I think people handle it in a binary fashion, which is way too oversimplistic. Yep. It wasn't related to his work, therefore we shouldn't connect it. Well, he was also 
very involved in Camp Dora, which was a slave labor camp where tens of 20,000, 30,000 people died producing B2s, which he knew would not change the outcome of the war if it was for his purpose, his research, his own career. Um, one of the astronomers at the U of A lost a brother in that camp, and he went back many times to Dora to find out just how involved uh, Von Braun was, and uh, he wrote a review in, I think it was Physics Today, of a book by, um, I forget the guy's name, he used to ask, but who worked at Huntsville, one of Von Braun's chums, and was trying to make this glowing picture of him. Well, you can't do this. There are, there are other factors involved. He wasn't totally uninvolved with the Holocaust. In fact, he was, a, he was part of it. So, you know, he still, and this person that I know here in town, he's dead now, was an astronomer. He would appear with him, but he hated having to appear on panels with Werner von Braun, knowing that his brother died mm -hmm. in Camp Dora, in which von Braun was involved. So this is not an either or. Um, can you guys hear me all right with my mask on? Absolutely. Um, so I just wanted to make a point too, this cancel culture thing. And, you know, and, and I think that is an interesting case, the Hollywood guy, and I'm thinking of Hedy Lamarr, who did continue to be, you know, an actress, but, uh, an actor, but, you know, she had developed the, what is it, the rate, the predecessor to microwave radio, or some big yep. thing that grounds <laughs> the internet, right. and was, you know, pretty much she was canceled yeah. out and unable to work in that because people just did you know a beautiful woman who you know how what does she know about this so that's another you know i think we need to consider the flip side and along those same lines i'm also thinking hidden figures you know yes. so we talk about the leaders of nasa but some of the people who are really crucial to getting that uh those rockets in space were just ignored because of their gender you know and and i also want to add it's a you know i think we all as I look around and I see we're all white people as far as I can tell. <laughs> I work with indigenous people a lot in tribes and stuff. I worked at Paul Notham Community College for five years and I continue to write features for Native Science Report. And I think there, you know, there is an amazing amount of inherent prejudice in our language and in our attitudes. And so, you know, I, I don't like this idea we cannot be, as writers, have the assumption we cannot be these characters, but like the, the, some of the panels I was listening to yesterday, which were more about LGBTQ+, you know, we need sensitivity readers. If we are going to foray into, you know, somebody else's territory, the other, in this day and age, we kind of need to have someone to look at that and make sure that we're not pushing the wrong buttons, even if we're trying to, like one time I wrote an article for the San Juan Star, was a column about this area where there's a lot of African Americans in Puerto Rico and they had been stealing their sand and I was writing it like oh these poor people they're victims and then when I showed it to my colleague who was black she said well you know you make this you know people have been fighting for this for a long time you know you're making it sound like they're not they haven't been fighting so you know she made a few I was able to make a few changes that she then approved of, and I felt much better about it. And I think those kind of actions are things we do need to be doing. Well said. Okay. <clears throat> yep. Um, also, I think the difference is, in the past, it was under cover. It was power plays in quiet, like in, in Hollywood. 
And now we think of cancel culture, especially with social media, as out in the open attacks <coughs> to try to get their way, uh, whatever they're trying to cancel. So it is a little bit different. Um, we're used to that underpinning stuff, and it's kind of a shock to have it out in the open culturally. We're not, you know, it's, it's a new, that's what's new. You, yeah, it's, that's fair. And to what you said, uh, I think a lot of it is about there are conversations being had. And some people are not happy that we're having conversations about whatever it is that they don't like us to have conversations about. There are many topics here. Uh, and they don't like it, so they try to cancel. Um, a lot of my friends... Um, uh, a lot of my friends have recently posted on Facebook about the Eternals movie. They went to see it. I'm a critic, and, and they're critics, and they went to see it, and they got pictures. Here's, here I am at the Eternals uh, IMAX screening, and Facebook took it down, and uh, routinely across the board. And just saying they were there? Yeah, just saying they were there. No, no, you know, violates community standards. And what it is is that certain people are unhappy that Marvel, as a major oh, yes. Hollywood producer, included some LGBTQ content in their film. There are LGBTQ characters in Eternals. Warning! And uh, they didn't like that. So they were review bombing the film, which meant that they were uh, posting everywhere to say, this is bad, this is horrible, this is terrible. And so uh, social media networks are trying to take this down. And their algorithms are not sophisticated enough that they just caught up everything. Oh, you said Eternals, right, stop. You're in jail for 40 wow. days. Wow. So you had, you you had a question. Up, yeah. The current or an incident within the last six weeks is this uh, astronomer, physicist, researcher who's got a doctorate out of Chicago who was going to make a presentation at MIT. He had written an article saying that promotions, I think, in the astronomy department should be based on who's the best candidate. Well, that didn't hit real well with the diversity people. And MIT canceled him. Princeton uh, invited him, and they something like 20,000 people, I'm not sure, watched the presentation on Zoom. So that cancellation didn't work real well, and I think some people at MIT were trying to keep their heads down and trying to decide what in the hell do we do now. Brian, also, my personal view on this is that the uh, what you have is a status quo of a certain certain uh, generations and, and people, and they were comfortable with that. And when changes are being made uh, and they're being called out for stuff they did back in the time when they thought everything was going properly. <laughs> and now they're being called out for stuff that was done back then. You can't go back in the past and change it. And so you're sort of stuck with what happened back then, even if at the time you didn't think there was anything wrong with what you did. And so this is that's where a lot of this friction is coming from. But at the same time, though, in science fiction, fantasy, uh, literature, one of the big things we do is uh, is to 
change the, or, or examine and um, explore differences in the paradigm. Because uh, if we're not changing changing anything about the, the paradigm, then we're not really exploring, you know, pushing any boundaries. And so it's it's a it, there's a, a a lot of dynamics that are going on in there. It's going to take a while before it to settle down. So is it your belief that those people who had written things that were not um, acceptable under current standards should they still be read? I, I believe they should. And the, the thing with me is that the idea is that yes, you have to understand where things came from and what it's come in in relation to now. And so the idea of like okay, put an asterisk next to, next to it, but still it has value. Recognize the time and culture. You don't just yeah. simply throw it out, but you do try to um, make sure you're examining you know, under the light in which it came, and then also still looking at it from where we are now. Follow-up question to that. Do you believe that it should be adhered to if adapted? Do you, do you believe that that uh, hypothetical work should be um, changed or left completely the same if adapted into another form, say a oh. book into a film, book into a TV series? Oh, uh, well, that, that becomes much more of a business decision. As to how, how are you going to present it to the uh, current audience? Because I agree with you, uh, and there's a great example right now in Foundation. I mean, we're at a science fiction convention, everybody's probably read Foundations, one of the greatest works there was. And, uh, you know, it's being adapted finally to television, and they suddenly realize there aren't any women in it. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, here, here's a, a, a thousand years of future history, and uh, women don't do anything. Um, you know, which seems a little odd today. Uh, maybe not so much in, you know, 1947 when he was writing some of this, and in the 50s when they became books, but now it's like really odd. And realistically, if, if we all sat down and watched that today, we would notice that there are no women in it. And who is this guy Asimov? Has he met a woman? Um, you know, so, so they're changing it. And people are upset that it's being changed. But I think, you know, it kind of has to be at that point. Yeah. Leave the books in print. Don't change the books. Right. Understand them in the context of their time. But if we're adapting into a new form for a new audience, for a new generation, sure. Some women in it. Well, it's the lack of women inherent to the plot, though. You know, or, or can, can you get the essence of the book? The, the, the only, the, while the only way you can actually tell that there are no women are because of the pronouns. Some yeah, because the, 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 the names aren't obvious. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Some, of, some of the names are mostly last names. Yeah, and the only way anything? that you can tell that they're all men is he, 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 he. Yeah. But there's a representation question. This is where the conversations come in. Um, I think it's absolutely awful that women had to wait until a few years ago to get a female superhero on the big screen as the star of the show. Yes. Why did it take that long to have Wonder Woman? Yeah. Why didn't we do that 50 years ago? Yeah, Wonder Woman's been around for a long time. Yeah. Why didn't Black Panther have a film made that long ago? And look at the impact that's had now, just the representation on screen. And that's what's going to bring diversity into this culture. Science fiction's traditionally been a very male-oriented world to the degree that when women wrote science fiction, they adopted male names, they adopted initials so that people wouldn't know that they're female because the perception was they're not going to buy them. Um, so over time, that's changed. But I think over time, that's changed because of the perception that the science fiction audience is okay with that. There have always been exceptions to the rule, like Leigh Brackett. 
Yeah. Yeah. Very successful, very popular in her day. And I don't I don't know if anyone ever assumed she was a man because Lay is well, you know, I don't know. James Tiptree Jr. Well, C.L. Moore. Yeah. 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 Many. Andre Norton. Andre Norton. Yeah. That, that didn't a, initially come off as a female name. That's right. Yeah. Tina. Uh, CJ Cherry. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's important to have representation. So if you're going to put foundation on the TV, uh, if you don't put women in it, um, are the women going to watch? I mean, at this point of time, are they going to say, look, no, it's just another example of old misogynistic science fiction, and they're going to miss out on one of the greatest things ever written? Yeah. Yeah, it's ironic that the genre. Which is supposed to be at the cutting edge of things, yeah. has suppressed so many areas for so long. Yeah. Do what we say, not what we do. Okay, I want to go back to the Eternals. Um, there is a push right now, apparently, from certain groups, conservatives, to make all books related to LGBTQ. I forget all the initials they come these days. <laughs> it changes. I know. And, and, now, and now you realize just saying that might get you canceled in some places. Well, yeah, no, that's true. I, it's like I can't spell. Anyway, um, anyway, they're trying to get these books like either removed from school libraries or to make it unavailable to be checked out. And I think that's really scary because if we don't know, if we don't have role models and if we don't know what happened in the past, what are kids going to do? There's a great meme out there. There's, just, there's something in every library to offend anyone. Exactly. <laughs> That's a good thing in my book. Gloria. Okay. Well, my field is rhetoric. That's why I did study Facebook. That was sort of and one of the things you could take this in a different direction because we're getting into the specifics of the demographics. But think of these as all competing narratives and each one wants to be the meta-narrative. You know, other narratives from that group she's talking about, or this other group of women, or, you know, racial support. They may come and go, but my my narrative is the meta-narrative. Reinforces me 24 7, 365 days a year, and I will do anything it takes to make those contingent, but mine is the meta-narrative. You think in terms of discourse communities and narratives, Sometimes you can get beyond the competing identity kinds of issues. Okay, Bruce, and then I want to bring up a, another I, topic. I think that is just an absolutely wonderful statement because I think that sums up. Should I get up and take a <laughs> why there is so much discord between these competing narratives. The only point I was going to make was just to amplify on banning books. Books have been banned since there were libraries. Mm -hmm. yeah. It just depends on who's taking umbrage. Yeah. So and the books that have been banned are obviously, you know, often very, very surprising. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't find that particularly scary because it's been happening forever. And I think it's the role of librarians to resist that. If it happens in a local school, it happens in a local school, that book's going to be available somewhere. And now, with the internet, you know, what are you going to do? You know, yeah. take, away, take away my computer, my cell phones? I can't. Well, if, if, you're in, if you're in China, you just can't get it, period. Well, yeah, yeah. That's, the, that's the scary part there. I don't see that happening in this country simply because we have so many different narratives, and it's, one or the other is not going to allow it. And I'm, I'm actually quite hopeful, if you want to look at it that way, about this whole 
theme when it comes to these, when you look at it as competing narratives. It's not good versus evil. It's just people get locked into a paradigm, a way of thinking. And then when you challenge that, they get very defensive. That's natural. It's been going on since, you know, since the start language. Yeah. Um, it's just amplified now because social media and the 24-hour news cycle allows this stuff to be put out immediately rather than having to wait for the last letter to come from England. And it's kind of the job of science fiction to challenge everything. So uh, we're about halfway through with the panel, so I want to talk about actually the second part of the panel question, which is the state of science fiction. Now, one of the things that I want to bring up is how many people here either um, eat meat or have a pet? Yeah. One half for each. Okay. <laughs> it is very possible that in a hundred years, all of that activity would be abhorrent to the culture. Owning, you owned a pet, you owned another creature, how could you possibly do that? The pets owned me. How many have complained? They, they must That's what I want to know. Yeah. About their state. Yeah. Oh, so, I think that's scratch here. <laughs> Um, so, I want to talk about science fiction and how much it is a barometer of current culture, even if you're trying to, you know, portray in the future, and what people think, or specifically with starting with the panel, that science fiction, you know, has changed over the past 10 years um, versus what we think might be happening in the, in the near future. I'll have to think about that, but I, th I think back to a science fiction story that dates back to the 1950s. Um, it was called, it was a short story, I don't, don't remember who wrote it, but it was called Accidents Happen. And it was about all of these nuclear reactors, power, power reactors, being placed out in the deserts of Arizona, Nevada, and California, and, and elsewhere. Why out here? Well, because they blew up occasionally. And, well, accidents happen. And, uh, you know, it was reflecting the fear at the time of, of what, uh, um, what could happen. And that's always been, I think, one of science fiction's <coughs> self-appointed tasks is to examine those fears and, uh, and address them. So now, you know, one of the, the things that we're, we're looking at is, you know, last panel was talking about technology and how is, is it kind of quote unquote, at least in some, some people's minds running muck, um, what's happening with medical science? You know, it was the, the coronavirus or the, the uh, COVID-19 created and inflicted on the world. One of the, the things that, that I was rebelling against in, in this series when I first started it was the idea of the mad scientist releasing um, a virus on the world because they were trying to get revenge on somebody. You know, and so whatever the, the fears are that we have at the time, these are the things that I think we're going to be writing about, at least to some extent. And... Uh, that you know, and we'll project that out into the future, or we'll set it out into the future, maybe so we can do it in a in a safer way. 
ہوگی If the same uh, rate of change advances our continuing current in genetics, you'll be able to buy a high school cat, aged cat in another 100 years, and they can invent the, uh, the organism that kills everybody. I think Bruce will tell you you can do it now. Somebody might have done it. Than that. 75 years ago, people were saying the same thing about atomic energy. In 75 years, you know, you'll be able to go down to the store and pick up an atomic Well, just because people said it, it didn't mean it turned out to be true. This bit on genetics, unless they start putting some rates on some of this. Uh, I don't know how many people have been cloned. It's, I'm sure it's happened. Not this week. <laughs> I'm at three conventions today. It's amazing. Does somebody over this week had a hand up? It's kind of going along with what you're saying about uh, about releasing into the world and things. But uh, you think about in terms of what you were saying about cancel culture. We have Godzilla destroying all the nuclear nuclear power plants in Japan. So he was going after. <laughs> Because he he was generated out of the fear of that culture, mm. is, uh, because of nuclear weapons used against him. I, I love fear of technology, and and one thing I notice, and Bruce is here, so I get to tell it to him. But uh, a lot of the the fear of technology started with things like Frankenstein, and when you look, especially not necessarily at that that book, but all of the films and books that came in its wake. You know, through to the 30s and 40s, um, they're all telling you about you know what's your job and what as a scientist or as a as a physician and what's God's job and where the line is that yeah. you shouldn't cross because yeah. you're not God. And so many times it's transplantation. And you know, I don't know how many people here have implants, uh, have had an organ replaced. Uh, I mean, it's reasonably common nowadays. But oh my goodness, that's God's domain. If you, if you look at all this stuff, I mean, I love historical fear. The question you had, though, was, was how science fiction changed, right? Um, changed and will change. And will change. I think the most obvious change right now for the last couple of decades is who's writing it. And because of who's writing it, who's in it. Uh, I think that's, that's changed massively. And as a, as a convention runner, um, we see this in guests. Um, generally, if you are at a science fiction convention like this, there's going to be a major author who's the guest of honor. And the major author has written a lot of stuff and has built a reputation, uh, probably won some awards, uh, and is being recognized for their contribution to the field. And for the first 50 years of conventions, that's old white men. Um, over time, uh, we started to notice that women were writing science fiction. Um, but they had to get into the field, they had to build their careers, they had to influence before they would become, you know, the author guest of honor because they'd done enough at that point to warrant being honored. So the people who were writing, usually in probably in the, the late 60s into the 70s, uh, were being honored in the 80s, into the 90s. And I think you're going to see a very different uh, makeup of guests as, as science fiction conventions go along, because you're now seeing a, a huge amount of women writing. It's not just a few, it's, it's sometimes maybe even the majority 
of women. You're seeing people of different uh, colors, different uh, uh, sexual persuasions, people from different countries. You know, it's not just Britain and America and, you know, maybe some guy in Russia. It's, it's all over the world. Uh, and those guys are building careers. I mean, to the degree you, you, they're winning you know, the major awards, sometimes you know, three times in a row. Um, those are the people you're gonna see up here on, on panels at science fiction conventions because they are the new, you know, they are the vanguard of the, of the genre. So when robots start writing science fiction, will they only attract other robots to conventions? Uh, no, will, I, they, will they appeal to humans as well? I, I'm, a, I'm an old straight white man. I love reading things that are not me. That doesn't mean I don't enjoy reading old straight white men and about old straight well, white men. Well, as long as you're not excluding what has come before, right. when it's, a, yeah. it's more of an, an incorporation and yep. broadening of your, yeah. your scope. But I love, I love the different. Everything I do at Apocalypse Later is, deliver, is, is discovery. I, I, my job yeah. is to go out there and find things that you've never read before, you've never seen before, you've never heard before, and put them in front of your ears, eyes, and... I was you know. just going to say the best way to grow is to do things that make you uncomfortable, yeah. but you can deal with it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and the worst, I'm going to throw this in because uh, it could have come earlier, but the worst uh, example of cancel culture that I experienced personally is people who say, I cannot be your friend if you are friends with this person. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, and and I, I, I really hate that and I refuse to play that game. And if you, if you, want, if you say that to me, I am going to probably unfriend you. Or, or I won't and you'll unfriend me. Um, <laughs> Uh, because there are a lot of, especially on Facebook, because friends on fa Facebook are not necessarily friends, yeah. right? Yeah. There's a there's a friend of mine who's currently in jail awaiting trial for double murder. Um, is he a friend friend? Uh, good question. Um, well, let's put it this way. When you, were you shocked when you found out? I was really shocked when I found out because my daughter rang up and said, hey, why is Pops on the news? And the, the, the news channel had taken photos my wife took of me and Brian and some other people, and they grabbed them from our Facebook feed and put them up. Hey, you know, here's this strange man. I thought, whoa, okay. Uh, but he's still a friend on Facebook because I want to find out what's going on. You know, I'm keeping track. Am I supporting the fact that he may or may not, he's, he hasn't got the trial yet, uh, he may have killed people. I mean, I really hope he hasn't. Realistically, about, he probably has. I think about this all the time when I'm standing in the grocery store. Did the person behind me just kill somebody? I don't know. There's no way of knowing. They don't. They don't wear a big T-shirt. And say, I just killed somebody. Yay! You know. Well, this is America. He probably did. Um, <laughs> don't want to be anti-American here, but um, you know, in, in England, I didn't know. You know, the closest I came to connection was my my uh, mother volunteered at Wakefield Prison, and there were murderers there, so she met some. But that's as close as he got. Here in the States, pretty much everybody I know either knows somebody who killed somebody, knows somebody who was killed by somebody, knows somebody who was arrested for killing somebody. Six degrees or, of separation. Yeah, <laughs> or they escaped because, you know, they, they checked out the room and didn't get it, and it turns out that was Jeffrey Dahmer, and, you know, it, it's crazy. I don't, I don't. <laughs> Diverting, where were we at? So we, we were talking about science fiction and the fate of science fiction, but go ahead. One caveat I would have, both for the past, we can't change the past, but the same standard today as yesterday is what comes forward and gets awards, I hope is good. Not for other reasons, but because yep. it's good. And I don't care where it comes from. 
Yeah, and this is this is the conversation that's being had right now. Uh, that's where the puppies came from. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the the sad puppies. So, well, wait a second. Does does everybody know about the puppies? Yeah, I won't go into crazy detail, but the sad puppies were people who were kind of upset that the people yes. nominated for and winning awards were were all these niche categories in their minds. And, uh, you know, weren't there still some old white men, uh, straight white men writing, you know, space opera, military science fiction, who were doing it really well and deserve to win awards? And, you, can, you know, I can kind of get what they were getting at. But they tried to orchestrate a campaign where they were push, they were tr actively trying to push more of that content into the award finalist categories. The rabid puppies uh, were like them on acid. And um, that's why, that's why uh, you know, every book by Chuck Tingle says by two-time Hugo-nominated uh, author Chuck Tingle because, you know, they, they, they wanted to subvert the ballot. And they got things like, you know, on last Thursday I was pounded in the buck by whatever he was writing about at the time in science fiction. And, you know, it was, it was a Hugo-nominated you know, novel. So yeah, it, absolutely there are people pushing for, for content that is not necessarily good to be uh, represented. And no, I think awards should be for, you know, the best, you know. But you've got to also recognize that um, the, there's, a, there's a system, there's an industry, and it's biased towards the status quo. It's biased towards the fact that old straight white men write novels and we know who they are. And they're the guys that win awards. Well, of course they do. They're great. Um, and it, it's biased against all of this other content. So I, I, it, there's, a, there's a real question right now. Are the awards going too far? You know, can you be nominated for a Hugo novel if you are a straight white man who does not come out against, uh, you know, conventions that don't have code of conduct or actively, you know, promote social justice, you know, and, and there may be an argument there. It's, it's a conversation worth having, but I don't see a lot of valid argument about, well, here's this African-American woman who's nominated and, uh, well, actually, it looks really good. <laughs> well, one of the articles that I tend never to read are the behind-the-scenes stories about how uh, well, production companies and et cetera try to push their actors, directors, so on, to get Oscars, which is one of the reasons they don't pay too much attention to Oscar winners. That, that's Oscar a different industry. And it also kind of would be, is the difference between what people would call literature and what people would call um, popular books. There's, there's that division in almost any artistic community. So you had a question? Commercial fiction. Oh, um, actually relating to what, oh, I was going to say there was a, a science, there was a climate fiction writing contest for Grist. They kind of did it with Columbia. And it was very, you know, they really wanted to know your background. And they were looking for LGBTQ plus for, you know, people from POC, uh, people of color and you know ethnicity and it was interesting and I don't think I don't think being a white woman cut it too much but they did have a one or two white women and one or two white guys but you know I thought it was actually pretty cool even though I didn't win you know I read the stories and they were good stories so it's like you know I understand there's a lot of good stories out there let's start highlighting the stories by 
more people who have been marginalized more. You know, I think it's a worthy thing to do. So I'd like to throw a question at the panel before we, we wrap up. And there's there's another panel, I think it's still coming up, on moral panic and its uh, connection to sales. And so that got me thinking about, you know, in a way that this whole uh, cancel culture thing is another example of, of moral panic. Mm -hmm. And uh, have any of us contemplated even creating a story that would draw that sort of response, uh, either intentionally or we just because of the story we want to write, um, and then use that to um, kind of push back against that cancel culture by, you know, embracing it or, or pushing back ourselves and, and saying, you know, because this uh, this group is opposing this, this is reason for you to consider buying this book. Are you making a distinction between that and being deliberately provocative? Or? <laughs> um, not necessarily, no. Okay. So, so what you're basically asking is, um, is there going to be a science fiction version of Dave Chappelle? Yeah, or the perception of what Dave Chappelle was saying. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a really good question. Um, mostly, I write nonfiction at present. I'm moving into fiction, so I'm thinking from that perspective as well. From nonfiction, as I said, everything I do is diversity. So I want to find things you've never experienced before and share them with you. So I'm actively looking uh, for things that I mean for the film festival. I have, it's it's a very international film festival. Uh, I mean, I've got awards now that have gone out to 12 different countries, which sucks because, you know, the filmmakers from South Korea don't fly out for the festival and I have to go and mail the things and it's not cheap. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I want to go find out, you know, what's out there that, that we just haven't seen before. From a fiction writer, yeah, provocative was what I got out of what you well, said. Is there a because, topic that's considered universally taboo? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Really? This absolutely. <laughs> uh, you you put a pedophile in a sympathetic role, uh, yeah, and, yeah. and that's you, you like a great with, story. I'm yeah, you deal with the feedback. Um, is Kristen here? I don't see. Her. I haven't got my glasses on, so I can't see too well. I don't think so. Um, Kristen Murbeth, uh, K.S. Murbeth. If you read her Wastelanders books, which are brilliant, and you should definitely go read her books. Uh, they're post-apocalyptic wasteland novels, but the heroes, and I say heroes very deliberately, not anti-heroes are cannibals yeah uh, they would normally be the monster the, the good guy that, that still holds up to our current definition of what good guys are uh, you know in a, in a future post-apocalypse would um, you know would fight but no they're the heroes well remember and it's a real challenge you read it you think hang on how am I liking these guys <laughs> Jonathan Swift was advocating cannibalism in a modest proposal so yeah yep, absolutely and, yeah. and one of the um, hopefully similar, satirically <laughs> well, one of, well on the other hand um, one money. of the uh, one of the I can't really say popular but most well known and well awarded novels or short stories is The Queen is Dark Yep, yep, okay. yep. Yeah, but that, you, that's, not, that's not obvious from moment one. You have to get to the end together. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, um, um, a somewhat controversial sequel to The Time Machine by H.G. Wells is The Time Shifts by Stephen Baxter. And his uh, Morlocks are still, or have recently been cannibals. They've they, they, they out of it. 
it becomes society's astronomers because their eyes are so light, you know, low light adapted. And so he takes these cannibalistic Morlocks into a, a very respected group in that they have changed out of recently, out of their cannibalism and put on a suit or whatever. But I talked to one big H.G. Wells uh, expert, Alex Eisenstein in Chicago, and he hated it. He hated this sequel because he said that the point of the time machine was to show that both groups were debased and, and, and uh, you know, they were, they were, they were anyway devolved, both groups. And so that if you make one of them rehabilitate, you're sort of changing the point of the original so we're getting close to the end of the hour here. Uh, does anybody have on the panel have any final words that they want to say? I, yeah, I do. I, I think we need to not be afraid of cancel culture. Uh, the, the people who are engaging it are in fact a small minority of our potential readers. Very vocal, very passionate but still a minority. And while it may be appropriate and good for us to try to get under the emotion and understand what, what the issue is that they're raising, if we start censoring ourselves out of fear of getting that reaction, we are failing at doing our job. Yeah, I guess what I'd live by is uh, don't cancel anything, uh, don't censor anything, but constantly challenge yourself as a reader, as a writer. Find what you've never read before. Look for the people that you've never read before. Uh, try to get into every perspective you possibly can. And always look at the context. Always look at the context. Yeah, if you cancel cancel culture, you're no better than them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, paradox, paradox of intolerance. Yeah. Oh, and I... I, I Thought of another taboo subject, which is really weird. Don't kill the dog. Yeah. Well, the National Lampoon had a very famous cover in the 70s with a dog on the cover with a mm -hmm. magnum point his head, and the dog's like, Ugh. says, if you buy this magazine or we'll kill this dog. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, yeah. A, lot of horror, a lot of horror fans uh, will literally not buy your book if the dog dies. Right. Wow. Not just there's, horror. Yeah, yeah there's actually <laughs> different categories of horror because of it. One of the one of the new types of horror that I heard about, and I can't remember what the classification is, but it's basically horror without any of the gore or actual murder. So the murders are happening, but they're not actually going into the same type of detail on book. Quiet horror. Quiet horror. That wasn't the term that they used, but basically there was an example. Of this one book, uh, the cozy mystery. Cozy, that was it. Cozy oh, mystery. Yeah. Cozy mystery. Uh, yeah. Jessica Fleischer's book. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Where where they were where they were um it was the cheesecake murders or chocolate cheesecake murders. Oh or yeah. Something yeah. like that. I went somewhere yeah. else with that for Death by chocolate. They've been doing the mysteries on the Hallmark that have that kind of a uh, cozy kind of feel to it. Yeah. And we're diverting again. You have fun words. Oh, I, don't, I don't know. Where, I'm just wondering, I, mean, I know everybody can't answer, but has your reaction changed when you met somebody whose works you really like and they turn out to be a complete ass? Yeah. 
<laughs> you yeah. continue reading the work because you yeah. separate the work from the person, yes, or do you, or you are you influenced subconsciously by that? Um, from that point on, the, actually, the work isn't something that would that would be cultured at all, um, and I'm not going to say the author's name, but basically, <laughs> the author was somebody who wrote about a um, sophisticated, smart. Um, a worldly um, uh, leader or diplomat. And the person who actually was a diplomat in life uh, was the worst stereotype of the Southern middle boy. Yeah, okay. And it, I had trouble reading those books and keeping the character in the suave, sophisticated category, and it moved them into a a, a, um, a more repugnant um, um, type character. A specific to this convention, what you know for the, the series CLT six six six. It was either his publisher or his uh, agent said you can kill any member of the group, but don't kill the dog. It, it was yeah. his publisher, and according to him, it was in his contract. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did kill a dog in my second book, but it was off stage. Was it limited to dogs, or were there other pets well, that the, were The dog was game. part of the squad. Oh, okay. So the dog was the major character. I think the reaction as I've seen it is always the dog. Uh, maybe we just don't kill cats as much in, in fiction. In cozy mysteries, you never kill the cat. Okay. 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 <laughs> well, in the Middle Ages, you know, they go lots of cats. Anyway, they'll just come back to the secret. <laughs> okay, so, so we're at the end of the hour. And it's time for the next panel, which here is going to be Magic Realism. And then the panel that you were talking about, um, the form of a moral panic, yeah. is going to be noon in panel room one, which is upstairs. upstairs. Yeah. I want to thank you all for being here. I want to yes. thank you all for being um, congenial, engaged, and polite. Uh, I was a little afraid of what was going to happen in this panel. And I really appreciate everybody being here and the attitudes that they do. Thank you. Yeah, I was just going to add the same thing, because the conversations need to be had, but the conversations need to be had like this. Yeah. You know, we've got to be nice about it. Yeah. We've got to... We disagree with people and, and not hate you. And it's the megaphones. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Left side, right side. Fatality. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Creative Play and Podcast Network. And feel free to enjoy our other shows, such as D&D, Journey of the Fifth Edition, and Scion, Ragnarok and Roll, a Scion hero to Ragnarok story. Thank you for listening.